podcast. Always be cool. The show where your host, DZ and BK, showcase your local business and real estate pros going gangbusters in leadership, community involvement, and just being cool. Here are your hosts, serial entrepreneurs, mortgage experts at Summit Lending, and partners in crime, Darren Copeland and Bobby Kerr. All right, everybody. It's the Always Be Cool podcast, hanging out with Bobby Kerr and Darren Copeland. What's up, everybody? At the Summit Lending Studios, hanging out with just an incredible guy, somebody we've known for a long time, Mr. Willie Wilson. Take it away. Right, here we go. Okay, born July 9th, 1955, from Montgomery, Alabama. Moved to Summit, New Jersey when he was seven years old. Highly regarded athlete in baseball, football, and basketball at Summit High School. He was drafted in the first round by the Kansas City Royals in 1974, played 19 seasons in the majors with the Royals, A's, and Cubs. He was a two-time All-Star in 1982 and 83, World Series champion 1985, Gold Glove in 1980, two-time Silver Slugger Award winner in 1980 and 82, AL batting champion in 1982, and AL stolen base leader in 1979. 1979 with 83 there, Bob. Um, Also, Kansas City Royals Hall of Famer. Willie had 668 stolen bases in the major leagues, which is 12th of all time. What's even better, number four all time in the American League alone, just behind Ricky Henderson, Ty Cobb, and Eddie Collins. He is author of the book, Inside the Park, (laughs) currently lives in Arizona with his better half, Helen Good friend of ours, Willie Wilson. Welcome to the show, brother. How you doing, man? Ah, uh, you guys told me something I didn't know. I didn't know I was fourth in the American League. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, oh, yeah. That's incredible. And, and I believe those three others in the Hall of Fame, man. I mean, you're you're right there. You're kind of a big deal, Willie. Well, you know, thank you guys. I appreciate that. Um, you know, there's a lot of things I had a chance to do, and uh, it was fun. Um, but, you know, I'm still doing stuff, so it'd be nice yeah, to, right. uh, you know, keep all of that going on a positive note. Right. Exactly. Well, and, and Willie, we kind of wanted to start off a, a little bit chronologically, you know, through your life. So, you know, you were an outstanding, you know, just stud athlete, you know, back in the day in high school. And, you know, you were outstanding in, you know, basketball, baseball, football. Heck, I think you even passed on. If I'm not mistaken, I think you passed on the football scholarship to Maryland. Is that not correct? That is correct. Um, you know, that uh, I was visiting a lot of schools uh, my senior year. And, um, you know, I got a chance to meet Woody Hayes, uh, Bo Schembechler, um, you know, just uh, a bunch of those guys are really great college coaches at the time. But I really fell in love with the University of Maryland. And um, it was only about three or four hours away from my home in New Jersey. So that was one of the main reasons I picked Maryland. But the main reason I picked baseball is because I ran into Randy White. I don't know if you guys know Randy White or heard of him. Dallas Cowboys. Cowboys? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Half man, half monster. uh, (laughs) The coach, uh, Jerry Clearburn, had invited me down uh, to visit and – I saw Randy White playing defensive end, figure out the play, caught the de- the running back on a screen pass, and I wanted to meet him. Didn't know exactly how it was going to turn out, but uh, he was in the shower. The coach called him out, and 
<laughs> coach goes, Randy, I want you to meet our next running back. And his first word to me were, I hate running backs. So that kind of made me feel that <laughs> that a guy that big doesn't yeah. like running backs, doesn't want to even say hi, hello. And so I said back to him, you know, um, I'm a, I can play deep back. I can be a split in. But if I got to run into you every day, I think I'm going to sign this baseball contract. Wow. And that's pretty much how it happened. So right. Randy White kind of got me to play baseball. <laughs> Interesting. That's yeah. right. right. Well, you know, I mean, obviously you had tremendous talent growing up, natural talent. Um, just for fun, t- yesterday we we surveyed 25 of our closest friends. This is a true story. Yep. 25 of our closest friends got a text message saying, hey, we're hanging out with Willie tomorrow virtually for the podcast. Our fantasy camp buddies. Like most of, yeah. most of our fantasy yeah. camp buddies that yeah. you know, like guys yeah. like Brad, you know, like obviously you're pretty close with Brad Stalling. So we texted all of them. We said, hey, Willie Wilson, what's the first thing that comes to mind? So I want to read a couple of things that all of, all of our <laughs> buddies said. Okay. Oh, I'll keep it. I'll keep it clean. <laughs> uh, speed, triples, stolen bases, inside the park home runs, gold glove, batting title, most singles in a decade, golf, smile, and number six. So, Uh, I mean, a couple of those were obviously doubled and tripled up, but um, wanted you to know that the first thing that people think of when they think of Willie Wilson are some pretty incredible things that are not Mm -hmm. only just baseball. And I think that's really cool Mm -hmm. is that the people that have gotten to know you on a personal level, you know, don't just think baseball. They think this great guy, great smile, great storyteller, and just a hell of a guy. So pretty special. Uh, and I hope that, I hope that resonates really nicely with you. Yeah, it does. It does. It's something that, uh, you know, when I played, uh, I was like Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, you know, I really wanted to win bad and I didn't want to do too much on the field as far as communicating with the fans. And that's just, uh, was where I grew up that New Jersey attitude. We don't take any prisoners and all that stuff. And, mm-hmm. um, but as I've gotten older and realized that I wished I would have went back and done things a little bit different, but there's things that you just can't change, but you can make them better. And so for me, I've tried very hard to really enjoy life, really enjoy the people, the surroundings, and uh, really don't take things too serious, you know, just uh, kind of, you know, have a good time and smile, but uh don't piss people off. Right. <laughs> so Sound that's advice pretty from much Wilson, it. Right? Yeah, right. but, you know, Stallings gave me a text yesterday, and uh, actually we're going to go to lunch uh, next he Thursday. And awesome. uh, he, he told me that you guys had, uh, did what you did. So uh, yeah. it's really fun. Uh, he's really a good guy and uh, really a good neighbor. Right. Well, you know, the, the thing is, well, you know, Bobby and I started this podcast, you know, you, you're, t- you're talking about don't piss people off. Right. So, right. you know, you might you might see this right here in the background, you know, just the golden rule of ABC, just always be right. cool. Right. All right. So, so All right. That, that's what we're trying to instill with everyone in our businesses and friends. Right. Man, life's a lot easier when you just don't go around pissing people off. Isn't sure. It? Yeah. Yeah. That does help. So you mentioned something, Willie, you said that when you were playing, you were kind of like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, right? So I actually made a note and I put down kind of two faces. So on the field and off the field, there was maybe two different guys that people saw and kind of easygoing off the field, like you said. But when you got on the field, you kind of took almost that that football mentality, 
right? And yes. whether or not that was a New Jersey thing. Mm-hmm. Actually, this earlier this week, we spoke with um, – we had Vince Papali on the show. Um, uh, and obviously, you're familiar with him and his story. Right. You know, kind of East Coast guy. And he was actually born in New Jersey. He had the attitude. Is it, what is it with this East Coast <laughs> yeah, attitude, so, man? I mean, <laughs> so, let, so number one, what is it with the East Coast attitude that kind of instills in people that, that hard-nosed, blue-collar mentality? And then secondly, maybe take that into um, – your attitude on the field, off the field, and kind of how that transpired and how that continued to grow as you got older. Well, the uh, when I first uh, got to Jersey, I was coming from Alabama, right? And uh, got in. Uh, I think I was there two days and got into a scuffle uh, because I talked funny. It mm. was an accent. Right. Um, it was just always fighting for stuff, always fighting for an inch in New Jersey and. Uh, everything was fast. It was moving. And, you know, if you wanted to win, uh, if you wanted to succeed, that was the attitude. And that's the kind of, uh, way you dealt with stuff back there. I'm just going to go full speed ahead. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, back in the East coast is very vocal. (laughs) They like to yell things at you and, uh, you know, and, you know, being an East Coaster, I'd yelled back stuff at you, you know, I mean, you know, you're going to challenge me, I'm going to challenge you. Mm-hmm. It was uh crazy uh when you're young. Uh, I realize now I'm 67. That was really crazy. But that's how <laughs> I survived going through those years. Um, You know, New Jersey was just that kind of way. And so when I got to play and I first came to uh, the minor leagues. I was number one draft choice for the Royals. Uh, when I got to the uh, academy, I walked in there and everybody was kind of staring at me going, why are you number one? And so it was mm-hmm. another fight. You know, I'm, I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to do that. And I was a catcher in high school, so I didn't really know how to play the outfield. And so mm-hmm. I had to learn to do that. So because I think I had that kind of attitude, it uh, really made me uh, like practicing. Mm-hmm. Um, I love practice. Uh, I don't know why people talk about not practice, because if you can do it in practice, you can do it in the game. Right. So I would practice stuff, practice stuff. And, you know, that's where I think uh, it got me to be where I was because I like practice. Um, but then on the field, you know, I had Amos Otis, uh, John Mayberry, Hal McCray, George Brett, uh, Dennis Leonard, all those guys above me, but those guys had won before uh, I got there. And so uh, I just took my mentality because I wanted to go a little bit farther. I wanted to win a World Series. So my attitude was I'm not taking any prisoners on the field or mm-hmm. on our team. And uh, so uh, they had to calm me down a little bit my first few years. I can still remember Split looking at me as I'm yelling at a pitcher from the dugout. And he's been there for years. And here's this rookie just yelling at people. So uh, I had to calm down, man, and figure out that uh, the football mentality that I had for about five years, man, it was every day, every day, every day. Mm. And then after a while, I couldn't really concentrate that hard every day uh, to have that mentality. So I just tried to enjoy the game. 
<laughs> right. Well, you know, Willie, we, we always like to talk about in the show, we, we like to talk about, you know, leaders and mentors that uh, folks have had in their past growing up. And, you know, it sounds like having that East Coast kind of chip on your shoulder, always trying to have to prove yourself. But talk a little bit about, you know, was there one or two people in your life? Because I believe you were really close with your auntie who helped, you know, yeah. you know, raise you. Mm-hmm. Did, did she instill some of that, you know, toughness inside you that, hey, you need to go out there and prove this, Willie? Well, my auntie, I had uh, three aunties down there. And oh, wow. um, they disciplined me. Uh, my mom, when I went to Jersey, I would go back down south every summer until basically eighth grade, summer eighth, ninth grade. And uh, I would uh, work on the farm, slop pigs. Uh, man, that's a tough job, slopping pigs. <laughs> right. Um, and what my aunts did was was to teach me uh, work ethic, uh Try not to complain and uh, be thankful for what you got and just try to make it better. Um, But if I got in trouble with my cousins, I was going to get whooped by my first aunt, my second aunt, (laughs) my third aunt. And when I got home, I was going to get whooped by my mother. So (laughs) it was it was always something to keep me from uh, not uh, getting in trouble. So, um, you know, they were big influences. but. One of the biggest influences on me was uh, my high school coach, uh, Howie Anderson. Um, he was uh, he was a Rutgers uh, football player, uh, linebacker, mm-hmm. big man, um, but he was uh, he was tough. But he didn't try to make it tougher on you just because he wanted you to, to be the very best that you could be. And, uh, he was always doing something positive for us. And, um, it, there was a couple other people there that, um, Mr. Guida, uh, he was the head of the uh, recreational center there. And he was also uh, a very positive, uh, uh, person in my life. And of course my mom, she was very positive, uh, for me because she could have, she was taking care of two young boys uh, by herself uh, with my grandmother and it was a very tough job. So she had to be uh, a mother and a father, but she was always uh, positive and she did a lot of work for us so that we could survive. So uh, right. I was very fortunate as a young man to see that, to see what hard work does and see how it pays off. And so it helped me out a great deal. So, yo, those were the people that really kind of influenced me. Exactly. So, so you, you weren't an, a, quite an angel, like, you know, of course, Bobby and I, we were angels. We didn't need any help at all. Right. Uh, <laughs> no, I was not an angel, uh, but I wasn't a bad kid. I don't think, um, you know, I was really, uh, easy going. Uh, I had a, a lot of fun growing up, but then when I started getting better in sports, that's when, um, uh, Jealousies start, uh, you know, it's, it's really hard when you're a young kid and this parent doesn't like you because you're starting over their son. So right. Uh, right. that kind of stuff started as uh, my uh, junior and senior year. And uh, it really uh, never stopped after that. Right. So right. that's kind of how I had to harden myself. Uh, if you don't like being criticized every day, because in baseball, every day 
we're the only teams or only uh, profession. They put an error up there. Every time you make an error, right? right, right they right. flash it on the board, E5, right. E6, whatever, right? Right. So if you don't like being criticized, don't play baseball. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, and, and also, Willie, you know, th- this time of year, obviously – uh, just uh, a, a great thing for Kansas City and the the Hall of Fame and, and finally Buck O'Neill being introduced to yeah. the major league. I mean, that that's what an incredible story. But, you know, during our research, we were uh, watching some old clips and you kind of envisioned him as almost a father figure, uh, if I'm not yes. mistaken. So expand, yeah. expand a little bit on your relationship with Buck. Well, um Buck's always been kind to me. Um, for some reason, Buck kind of took me under his wing. Uh, he saw something in me that maybe I didn't see, and, you know, I see it now, uh, what he probably saw in me. But uh, he would come over the house. He knew all my kids' names, and wow. uh, we would go play golf together. And, um, you know, he was just – I feel like now he was trying to – get me to go the way that I'm going now. Mm, And, um, when did that relationship start? Um, it kind of started after all the commotion in 84. Oh, that early, huh? uh, Oh, He, uh, he kind of just would come over. I remember one time I threw, I, at the house, we had a pool party and my friend Lupe had a band and, um, he played at the party and Buck came over and everybody was kind of sitting there and, and Buck like, come on, young fellas, let's get up and dance. And he got everybody <laughs> up. Cool. And, uh, you know, Buck was just that kind of person. I am so happy for him that he's in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. I know that he said it didn't bother him, but I kind of think it bothered him a little bit because, you know, everybody wants to celebrate it when they're alive. Right. And, uh, right. you know, he, he deserved it then and he deserved it now. Right. But, you know, I got this one story with Buck. We were at Longview Golf Course. Oh, uh, Fred Arbanis? Uh, right. Yeah. And Well, yeah, now Fred Arbanis, yeah. right? But there's that par five dog leg left. And uh, water on the left, and then uh, I think it's it's either six or seven, and uh, <laughs> Buck, you know, hits a nice drive down the right side, you know. So I'm gonna try to turn the three wood around the corner because if I hit the drive, it's gonna be too far. I'm right. gonna be in that crap, right? And I popped it up, and I'm like standing there looking at it up in the air, and Buck goes, "Run it out!" He might <laughs> drop it. <laughs> and that's one of my best memories of Buck. And after that, we just laughed. So oh, Buck's always been a friend, and and right now Bob Kendricks is that kind of friend that Buck has has been to me. Um, you know, Bob's a good guy, and Bob's really made the museum Man. what it is today. Him and Buck, yeah. and uh, I'm just really proud to have been uh, Buck's friend, and uh, I'm proud to be Bob's friend, and hopefully. You know, uh, things can work out to where I'm back in Kansas City a little bit more often doing stuff for the Negro League Museum. Yeah, that, love that would be you. fantastic, man. Well, I mean, what what, yeah. a, what a blessing for uh, for Buck to you know be in your life, you know, in in the early '80s because I know there were some things going on, uh, you know, during that time. So yeah, you yeah. so you oh, mentioned a lot of things. <laughs> a lot of it's things. all out there, man. It it's all out there. Well, it's a lot of things. We appreciate <laughs> you you bringing it up. You said the commotion of '84, so. 
um, you know, the listeners of the show, we had Willie Akins on last week and, and he spoke, um, he, obviously he's very open about his, his personal experience, but kind of what was that like going through, like you said, the quote unquote commotion of 84 and how did that kind of maybe propel you for the rest of your life, whether as a, as a, you know, athlete always in the spotlight. Cause I bet that just had to have always been hanging on you like this monkey, like Willie, you're in the spotlight, even though you don't necessarily want to be. Cause I think mm-hmm. even on DC <laughs> had some notes that you didn't yeah. really want to be famous. And so maybe no. to deal with some of those things, that's what brought you to that commotion, like you said. So maybe just speak a little bit about that. Well, I think that the guys now uh, coming up through the minor leagues, first of all, they get uh, people that can teach them how to deal with mm. what's going on in the major leagues, which is something that we didn't have in the 70s, mid-70s. Right. Um, that was one of the reasons that I think uh, – I kind of went the way I went. The other reason was I didn't want to be famous. Uh, mm-hmm. I just wanted to play ball yep. and go home. Right. <laughs> That's all I right. wanted you, to do. You didn't want to do interviews and all that. Yeah, right. I didn't want to do none of that. Yeah. I just wanted to play ball win and go home. And so that's what I'm saying in the minor leagues. These guys are used to dealing with and how to deal with. And so that became a problem for me because I didn't think I was any more important than anybody else. I just played ball to me. A teacher was more important. A a policeman was more important. Mm -hmm. A fireman was more important. And most of all, your parents were more important than me. But that's not how it is. And I kind of understand that now. And uh, But it was really kind of a hard thing for me to deal with when people are coming up to me and asking for autographs. And I'm like, really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, you really want mine? And so I didn't know how to deal with it. And then I became kind of angry at it because uh, I wanted to go home. <laughs> I just wanted to go home. I wanted to see what was going on there. And I wanted to be with my kids and it was taking time away from my kids. So I didn't know how to manipulate the time and all that kind of stuff, right. but I do now. And the kids are grown, so I don't even worry about it. But um, I got into it because it was everything that it was the eighties. Sure. And I'm basically just saying, you know, it happened, you know, we, we did it. Um, and you know, I felt like we weren't the only ones, but we were in the spotlight. Right. And so when that happens, you really don't know how to handle it because Mm -hmm. it was something that, you know, you were doing for fun. Uh, and so, um, when I got caught, it was more so that winter, I was like, okay, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm just not going to do it. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't. Right. So that whole winter, I was cool. Summer, I was cool. And then the late uh, Al Cowens. You guys remember Al Cowens, oh, yeah, right? Absolutely. The late Al Cowens, which I took his position when he got hit in the jaw. So I felt like I owed him a favor. And this is all true. I'm not making this up. You felt like so, you owed who a favor? Al Cowens. Okay. I felt like I owed him a favor because he had asked me, did I know anybody who was selling the drug? Okay. So I called the guy 
And the guy says, no, I don't have anything. And he said, who is this, Willie Wilson or Willie Aikens? Mm. And that's how I got caught, right? And I was like, so the, the phones were being the, tapped. Is that tapped? Yeah. The phones okay. were being tapped. Yeah. So, you know, I told him no. And then that was it. And then we, month or so later, we were, went to Yankee Stadium. I dove for a ball, hurt my shoulder. And, uh, it might have been the pine tar game. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I can't remember. Right. But I know my shoulder was hurt. So I was going, we came home. I was going to the doctor and, I kind of went through a yellow light and then the car behind me went through a red light. Uh-oh. I went, wow, that's weird. Uh-huh. And I stopped at the next light and the car pulled up to me and it looked, I looked over and it said KDI, Kansas Bureau Investigation. Mm-hmm. So I pulled over and they just started talking to me. We think you doing this. And I said, well, if you guys know so much, why are you asking me stuff? I don't know who sells this. I don't know where it's coming from. And if you think I'm selling it, you're kind of crazy because I'm not going to do that. Right. And so they didn't. They didn't press charges or anything right away. And then I went to the doctor, came to the ballpark, and it was all over the news. Hmm. Somebody had leaked it, right? Oh, gotcha. And I'm I'm riding in the car, <laughs> and it says, uh, I'm listening to the news, and it says, one of the royal superstars is, is uh, being arrested. I'm like, who is that? <laughs> That's what I'm saying to myself, right? Who the hell is that? So anyway, um, I get to the stadium. Share host calls me up. I got to talk to him. Now everybody in the locker room's got their head down. I mean, shit, man, it's me. Right. So, um, finally I go talk, uh, to the people and, uh, talk to a lawyer and the lawyer recommended to the judge probation. Uh, I had like about, I don't know, 10, 15,000 signatures. I was clean. <laughs> I mean, right. I was doing anything i was just clean and so but i'm not saying i didn't i mean i did before but at that particular time i was clean so um we messed around and then uh, got to the judge and we got to court and they had already sentenced vita but he was being delayed so it was between me, uh, Willie Akins, and Jerry Martin. Mm-hmm. People don't really remember Jerry right, Martin. Right. So um, I was the first one to go to trial. And so when the judge says to me, he goes, I know that the DA recommended probation. <laughs> I know that you have all these signatures. He goes, but I got people downstairs that have committed murder who don't get this much of attention. And then he goes... So I'm going to give you a year in jail. And that's all I heard. Oh, wow. Was a year in jail. And I popped up and I went, for what? I didn't do anything. Wow. You know, like all I did was call. Right. And the guys, and then the guy goes, but I'm going to suspend. I think he said eight months or nine months or something like that. And I had to do three months. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's all I heard. I was like, what the hell? I didn't do anything. I wouldn't take anything. I didn't do anything. Right. You see, I'm clean. I had to go get all kind of stuff. And turned out the uh, judge was a uh, frustrated athlete. And oh, he didn't. Yep. And so he uh, was going to make me an example of uh, 
not doing it, I guess. Right. So I was the first one. And then I had to, you know, it, it, it was really heartening because I could take it. What hurt me was my kids mm. because they got to go to school. Yeah. They got to hear all this stuff. They got to do this. They got to do that. So it hurt my kids more than I think it hurt me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if I was at that time a better person, I would have thought more about my kids right. and what it was doing to them. So uh, there's things that you do um, that you wish you could change. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, you can't. Well, but we we all have. You can make them. Yeah, you can make them better, though. Right, but the, and that's what I'm trying to do. The, the the cool thing is, Willie, is you know we all go through life and make mistakes, man. And you know, uh, the the best thing is is you quickly learn from that, and you clearly had a good relationship with the Royals organization and the Kaufmans because you know those other three guys weren't around, right? They they kept Willie yeah, around, I understand that. right? So how was Yeah, it? they weren't around, but I tell you what, Mr. K called me in his office. <laughs> okay. Yeah, tell Here me. We that. Go. Here we go. And it was it was me, uh my wife at the time and two of my kids. And uh I mean, he <laughs> he ran me up and down. Uh and then after he did that, he goes, "This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a four-year contract." And I went, "What?" Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, but he said if you ever and, uh, you know, you didn't want to disappoint Mr. Mm-hmm. K. And then the next year we went to the World Series and won. Wow. So, um, you know, like I said, you know, Mr. K was like Buck. They saw something in me that I really didn't see. And, uh, you know, it was uh, I've been very fortunate in a lot of areas. Um, my health has been good. Let me knock on some wood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's just something that, you know, happened. And so it happens and you just try to help other people to make it not happen. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like, you know, we, we all have problems and I think yeah. that's kind of the power of you telling your story about your struggles, whether it was uh, through your book. Right. So uh, I think right. maybe we can talk a little bit about that, but being able to share your experiences on how you overcame those things, how it actually helped you later in life, how it helped you become mm-hmm. a better teammate, a better father, a better, better partner, better, better leader, you know, Mm -hmm. by example. So uh, maybe speak a little bit about um, for a couple of minutes of how and why you decided to to do the book and how it's helped kind of tell that story and help others. Well, I decided to do the book to get it off my chest. (laughs) I I wanted to, I wanted, I wanted to do the book to let uh, people know what really happened. And that, you know, uh, this game or life can uh, lead you through a lot of paths. But um, I've always been spiritual. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not religious. Uh, you know, there's a difference. Yep. I believe in certain things and I, I feel there's a spirit. And uh, if you're on the bad side of that spirit, you get bad. If you're on the good side of that spirit, you're going to get good. Uh, and I I just feel like it was something for me to do. It was something for me to uh, just let the truth out. And I got a call from one of my buddies back in high school. And uh, 
he told me, he goes, oh man, I didn't know the truth. And now I do. And it was really fascinating that he found Mm -hmm. out. So I think a lot of people were kind of misguided to how it happened. And uh, I think a lot of people still are, but it, it made me realize that this is what I have to do. And then this is how I'm going to help some people. And I started doing stuff with the dental clinics and we were helping kids get free dental care and uh, kids that couldn't afford it. And uh, we started doing baseball camps and we were just trying to uh, do knowledge of, of my knowledge to give to the kids. And then, uh, you know, it just made me so much better, I think, to appreciate uh, life a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And it made me appreciate uh, the people a little bit more because the parents are, the kids don't know me, but the parents do. <laughs> right. So that kind of made it kind of cool. Well, but, you're doing those um, things probably made you happier. Like just, it gave you a- It was happier. It was more time consuming, but uh, you don't think about that when you're helping. I, I realized that, you know, a lot of people don't know about dental but you know you can have a toothache and die because it can get mm-hmm. infected and go to your brain mm-hmm. and a lot of people don't know that and that's how we started the dental thing be- was because this young man died from that mm-hmm. and the story that i really kind of tell people is this one lady uh, sad story uh, her child or this is a grandmother, her grandchild. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't know where the mother was. So the grandchild and her, he had these braces on and he couldn't get them off. And he'd had them on for years. And he finally, doctors took his braces off and the grandmother was just in tears. And I don't want to say it was me. I was just the face. It was the doctors and the nurses and all that that helped. But she came to me and she hugged me and crying. And she said, I'm so happy that someone wanted to help because they couldn't afford to get it off. And if the other dentists were to get it off, then they could be sued for this. And if it, you know, it was just a bunch of stuff. But the worst part of that was she said, we live in a porta potty. Like, wow. Like a legit outdoor restroom. Porta potty. And if that doesn't hit you in the heart, then there's nothing that Mm -hmm. will. And for me to just help that person and with the organization, it made you feel uh, that you were doing something worthwhile. And and I still feel it right now in my voice. I'm not trying to, but it was so heart wrenching that that people live yeah. like that mm-hmm. and we just don't right. give a crap. Right. And that's what makes you want to go do things of what well, you're doing. And so for me, it really put a different perspective on. Well, life. the thing is, Willie, you know, you, you've been put on a track with being blessed as an athlete and just a, a great person at heart and the things that you've learned good and some difficult times over life, man, that has just positioned you to be a light to others, right? To give back and give them hope. Well, yeah. right? So you, you being active and, and doing that things just changes people's lives. 
Well, it changes my yeah. life. Exactly. And if, if, if it can help other people and, you know, sometimes you don't realize helping other people helps sure. you. Mm-hmm. And so I, I try to do that and I'm not, believe me, I'm not rich. I mean, I went through bankruptcy and, and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I'm, I'm making it, but I'm not rich. (laughs) Put it that way. I hope people don't think that all that money, it's, it was still in my bank (laughs) account, but I just feel that, uh, whatever I can do to help, it really helps me and it helps the other person. But, uh, you know, it's just makes you feel good. It does. Well, you know, before yeah. I move on, Sean Casey was on the show yesterday and he he said something to the effect of, you know, if you really want to do something that makes you feel better than anything else in the world, go out and do something for somebody else. Mm-hmm. Because there's and he actually said yep. there's there's nothing more selfish than doing acts for others because there's nothing more gratifying, right? right. And it's an interesting perspective on it's it. It's true. Um, but to your point, yeah, by helping others, that's what truly, you know, lifts us up as individuals. So um you know, maybe moving on. I think it would be kind of cool. Would you mind uh, if we asked you a couple, couple stories that we prompt? Would you mind be able to share some memories uh, with us? We we, ahead, we know man. we know that's what my, a good storyteller. That's my right specialty. Oh yeah, we've heard, we've heard a bunch of your stories before. We want to we want to share them with some oh, yeah. So, um, how about let's let's start here. So you've got a pretty illustrious career. You played for a lot longer than most. You accomplished a lot right. more than most. Um, I'm going to, I'm just going to read a list of, of names, George Brett, Dennis Leonard, Hal McRae, Amos Otis, Brett Saberhagen, Frank White, Quisenberry, Freddie Patek, Mark McGuire, Jose Canseco, Ricky Henderson, Dave Henderson, Eckersley, Bob Welch, uh, Dave Henderson, Willie Randolph, Willie McGee, Jamie Quirk, Sammy Sosa, Ryan Sandberg, Mark Grace, Sean Dunstan. Dude, you've played with some rock stars straight up ballers like holy cow hey man it was uh you know when i was with the royals you know it was we had some really great players uh and then i went with the a's and i tell people i mean i played with the royals i started or you know was a utility uh, toward the end of my career there but when I went with the A's, I never played on a team with that many superstars. Right. I mean, it was really kind of cool. And the first year, the guy on the bench was <laughs> me, Harold Baines, oh, wow. he's a Hall of Famer. We're on the bench, <laughs> <laughs> right? You got Randy Reddy, right? You got Blankenship. And then you got the governor, Jerry Brown, we call because at that time, the governor of California yeah. was mm-hmm. Jerry Brown. And, uh, those are the bench players. We just had a great time. Yeah, we were the bench guys. And then uh, I got kind of pissed off because Dave Henderson got hurt my second year, and I had to play yeah. the whole year. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> right. But uh, I got in the playoffs that year, and that's actually we lost to the Toronto Blue Jays, and they the went on to win 92 okay. and 93. Okay. But um, it was kind of cool to be, uh, you know, and then you forget Ron Darling oh, yeah. was on yeah, that squad right. too. I mean, uh, and we had Goose Gossage. He came in '93. Yeah, and uh, it was really kind of cool to just play with those guys. And then I went with the Cubbies, and then uh, 
The Cubbies were yeah, different back yeah. then in 93, 94. We had two different managers. One year was uh, Lefebvre, mm-hmm. Ryan's dad. Yep. And then uh, the second year was – wasn't Treblehorn. Like and, what uh, I've heard you say – He was he was your favorite manager, right? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Treblehorn was – Well, he'd never managed before. He was – but Lefebvre was – he was cool. I mean, he was a, he was a veteran. and uh, But Treblehorn was different. And that was my last manager because uh, I got released. And um, but it was cool though. My last question to them was, "Do I get paid?" <laughs> <laughs> and if I get paid, I'm then cool. I'm signing I'm cool. right here. Yeah, do you? Yeah, because we went on strike oh. that year. Oh, that's right, ninety four. Wow, ninety four. Yeah. That was wow. Right. So I was happy not to go on strike, and I just drove my stuff back home after I cleared waivers, and I kind of go went through the uh, Midwest, and I kind of remember my career starting in Waterloo, yeah. Iowa, just, you know, going through back to Kansas City, so it was kind of a memorable right. drive. That's cool. Uh, but yeah, it was kind of cool, man. Those guys are cool. I had a great time, man. It was it was kind of cool to be around those I, guys. I bet. Do you have any any like a quick story that you could tell about those those A's teams that were just so star studded? Oh God, let me see. The first time I was ever in spring training there, you know, I'd wore royal blue all my oh, life. Right. So now I got on white shoes, yeah. uh, yellow sanitaries, green socks, <laughs> pull ups. <laughs> You know, we got gray, we got green, we got uh, yellow, and we got all these different colors. And so I'm locker next to Mike Gallego. Oh, okay. Like and yeah. so uh, remember yeah. Gallego? Yeah. And so he's uh, he's our second baseman at the time, right? And Walt Weiss was shortstop. So we had a really good team. So uh, Ricky comes in. Him and Jose were bidding for who could come in right before deadline, like last. It was unbelievable. So um, Ricky comes in and Jose comes in and Ricky comes in the locker room and Ricky starts. That was the first time I heard Ricky start talking about in third person. Yeah, third person. And so I'm sitting there and me and Guy go and reporters are all there because Ricky's the last one to report in and they're like, and he's, they start asking questions and he starts going, Ricky says, blah, 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 blah. But Ricky says, and I look at Gallego and I go, isn't he Ricky? <laughs> <laughs> like, like who's he talking about? And Gallego just puts his towel on and just going to the shower. That's called Rickyism. Ricky being Ricky. <laughs> so that was Ricky being Ricky, man. And so the last story that Ricky is, the year before, Willie Randolph was on yep. the team. And he called Willie Randolph Will Dog. And so my nickname has always been Bean. Uh, I think Saberhagen gave that to me years ago. Chili Bean, String Bean. Oh, okay. It was just Bean, right. right? So everybody calls me Bean. And so Rick starts calling me Will Dog. And I go, Rick, you know, my nickname's Bean. He goes, well, you're Will Dog to me because Willie Randolph was Will Dog and your name is Willie, so you're going to be Will Dog. (laughs) So every time he sees me, he gets Will Dog. So that's my name with Ricky and everybody else is being. Well, you know, so Jamie uh, Jamie Quirk was on the show a couple of weeks ago and he was on on that team and he he told a Ricky story and he said that his locker was directly next to Ricky and for the entire season (laughs) – 
Jamie said, I don't think Ricky knew who I was the entire season. Didn't even talk no. to him. <laughs> Didn't no. know his name. Ricky had no idea. Him and Jose thought they were like the bomb. The sun, or like they, the earth were right. them. Him yeah. and Jose. And so uh, one day, uh, you know, Tony comes in and he, it's Saturday. Every Saturday, Jose had a migraine headache. Every Saturday, man. No matter where we were, he had a migraine. So Tony goes, this next two weeks, him and Ricky decided they didn't want to play. And I don't know for what reason, whatever. So Tony had me in center, Randy Reddy in left. And at the time, Eric Fox came up playing right field. And he was going to let us play. This is Mm -hmm. 92. Right, so I gotta play because Hindus hurt. So we end up being ten games up. Now they won that game, right? So Tony says, "All right. So when you come back, if you come back, I'm a, after the All Star game. You have one day of a migraine, and I'm gonna get wow. rid of you." First Saturday after the All Star break. Boom, Jose has a migraine. And we're out there, you know, back in those days, you come in through the center field in uh-huh. Oakland, right? And we're out there catching fly balls, and we just see him walking through. Oh, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So now the uh, August is, you know, the uh, trade day, uh-huh. right? They're, they're going to trade people. 8.59 uh, West Coast time, which is almost 12 East Coast, the phone rings in the dugout. Yeah. So it's like Tony goes, uh-huh, uh-huh, click. Jose's on deck. He goes, Jose, come here. And then he goes, Blankenship. And Blankenship thought he was released. He goes, oh, I'm released. <laughs> he goes, no, go hit for Jose. So Jose comes back and he sits down and Tony tells him, we just traded you. He takes his shirt, buttons go flying oh, wow. off, grabs his bat, right? So me and Hindu are sitting next to each other. Dave yeah. Henderson, we kind of run upstairs, <laughs> <laughs> and Jose is locking the doors because he doesn't want the reporters okay. to come in, wow. right? So Hindu goes up to him. I don't go up to him. Hindu knows him, right? Hindu's like, hey, man, what happened? He goes, I got traded the blank and blank Texas Rangers. Hindu goes, I don't care about you. Who <laughs> He goes, Ruben blank and blank yeah. Sierra. Oh, yeah. And Hindu yeah. goes, yeah, he right? And then Hindu his, goes, okay, yeah. see you. <laughs> and that was wow. it. Jose, he was, I mean, Ruben came in and then Ruben yeah. was, was, Kind of another Jose. That's amazing. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> so it was it was different, man. But uh yeah, you get all kind of stories, man, oh, with no. these guys, man. It was hey, kind of crazy. Really, but we, we we had a good time, though. Hey, I had a good time. Uh, one of the the stories I would love for you to share with those who are listening to this, and it actually involves the A's. So go back a few more years. Let's talk about the nineteen eighty two batting average race between you and Robin Yount. And tell everyone how that went down with Billy Martin, who was the manager of the A's back then. 
Well, uh, Billy, uh, I'd got a chance to uh, deal with Billy by playing against him, but also I'd went over to Japan uh, in 79, I think, and uh, I think once in 80, our team went there, but Billy was the manager for the mm. American League, and we it was American League, National League All-Star game in Japan. So I got to know him there, and I uh, just found out he was really uh, mm-hmm. a really nice man. You know, I think... Um, you know, we all put on a facade when we're playing and this and that, but Billy was really kind of cool person. So, um, I'm leading in the batting championship. I think I played 160 games that year, maybe one or two games less, but I played a lot. And, uh, it was the last day of the season. I was up, I think five points or four points on Robin Yow. And, uh, I walked into the locker room and share hosts and the manager in there and they go, uh, Willie come in the office. We don't want you to play today. And, and then for a quick second, I was like, why you don't think I can get a hit? <laughs> I mean, all I got to do is get one hit, right? I'm going to be up four or five times at the time I was hot. And so they go, no, we just don't think you can, we don't want you to play. He's got to go five for five to beat you. Right. He's one for one. He's two for two. In live updates during the game. He's three yeah. for three. He's four for four right now, right? And they're an hour ahead of us because they're playing the Baltimore Orioles. So the phone rings on our side. I'm down there loosening up, trying to get one at bat, mm-hmm. one hit, right? Like it's chances are going to be slim. So Billy calls our locker. I mean, our dugout. He's on the other dugout. And he calls over and he goes, hey, you guys want me to delay the game until you guys find out what Robin Yount did in Baltimore? And I'm saying to myself, how the hell does he know what's going on? I mean, he knew what was going on, right? So we're like, yeah, let, let go delay it. So he goes out and he he's not going to take the picture out. He just goes out there to talk to him. And then we get a call from upstairs. Robin Yount lined out the center field. <laughs> the guy made a diving wow. catch. <laughs> right? So we whistle at Billy and go, you know, it's, it's good. Yeah. I, it's good. And then as he's walking off, I tip my hat to him and he nice. tips his hat That's back to awesome. me. And so it was like, Hadn't been for Billy, I probably would have got up, right. grounded out. Yeah, because you, you won by like a hundredth of a point, like yeah, one hundred, yeah, one one hundredth of a percentage right. point. That, right. That's the <laughs> and, and like you said, so, what other manager who doesn't have one of his players in the batting race is over on the other side of the dugout paying attention to that? Right. That's what I'm saying. He was so. He knew everything that was going on, and I just really appreciated him for that. Billy right, was really a good right. guy. Man. Here's a, a prompt for you. So we this guy's come up a couple times in our podcast with players talking about him, but Mr. Nolan Ryan, the Ryan Express, Here right? So to set the scene, I think you had a couple of, of instances with him, a couple of different stories and memories, one being uh, your first all-star game. And and then secondly, yeah. obviously, uh, I don't want to give it away before you give it away, but the story of, uh, or let's just mm. say you knew what was going to happen during that at bat. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I had faced him before that. Uh, I came up from AAA, 
And, um, you know, I, I didn't drink. I, I wasn't a drinker. I'm still not much of a drinker right now, but, um, they took me out and said, you know, Rook, you want to hang with us? You're, you got to learn how to drink. Mean, right? So yeah. they gave me like, yeah, my teammates. They had me like three, four vodka and orange juices. That's the only Amos drank vodka and orange juices. So I drank them while I was drunk. <laughs> so the next day we have a day game and I didn't know Amos. Uh, I knew him and Nolan that played together with the Mets, but Amos hardly ever faced Nolan. It's a rarity that they face Nolan. So now they come to me, hey, Rook, you ready to play? I'm like, uh, yeah, who's pitching? <laughs> Nolan Ryan. Right. Okay. Here we go. Um, so, all right, I'm batting last. And Nolan, you know, I'm going to bunt yeah. as part of my game. So I fouled it back to bunt. And uh, he started screaming at me like, you blankety blank blank from the mound. I mean, they could talk back. I didn't know you could talk to each other back then, but they could do that, right? And he's screaming at me, right? So I get back in the box and I look at the catcher and I go, was he talking to me? And I think it was Sonny. He was like, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. So anyway, uh, no, he was with the California Angels, so it wasn't Sonny. I think it was Bob Boone. Anyway, um, so the next pitch is coming at me right at my head. I mean, it's coming, man. He's grunting. Ugh! So I flip. And I mean, my bat's going one way. My helmet's going the other way. I mean, I flip, man. That's the quickest I ever think I landed on my back. And when I had my eyes closed and I was kind of searching and feeling in my body, where did I get hit? I noticed I didn't get hit. So I opened my eyes and he was standing in the cuff of the grass, the turf and the, yeah. and the batter's box. And he said, don't you ever butt on me again. And I'm laying on the ground, right? And I just looked up at him and went, okay, <laughs> I'm never going to butt on you again. <laughs> so now it's 1992. He's played in the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, and he's still playing in 1992. And I'm like, (laughs) come on, man. So the score is seven. uh, In the seventh inning is 0-0. I'm leading off. I know, you know, Nolan's pitching his Texas Rangers, and I try to fake a bunt, but it was ball one. And he starts yelling the same crap he was yelling at me when I was a rookie, right? Now I'm in my 30s. I'm like, Ah, screw that, right? I don't let it bother me. So he gets 3-1, and I know he's got to come with a fastball. I cheat a little bit, get out front, hit it the right center. And as I'm rounding second, I'm yelling the same thing he was yelling at me, right? And so the fans start throwing stuff at me, right? They're just, how could you yell at a legend? And I'm like, are you guys watching the same game? I'm watching this guy yelling at me and stuff, right? So anyway, we score. Two runs. It's the seventh inning, like I said. I got to get up again in the ninth. I know it. So we got McGuire, Jose, all these big dudes, Steinbeck, you know, Dave Henderson, big dudes, right? And then uh, I go, you know he's going to hit me, right? And everybody goes, yep. (laughs) So I go, nobody come out. Just let them hit me. We're going to go to the playoffs. They're not. 
So I walk up to the umpire. You know, I used to tap the umpires and tell them hello. And I said to the umpire, you know he's going to hit me, right? And the umpire goes, (laughs) (laughs) So I step in the box. I don't even dig in. I just turn my back like, okay, go ahead. Just Mm freaking hit me, man. And he throws one right down the freaking middle. And I go, oh, God, I start digging in. He's not going to hit me. Like this, right? The next pitch, what hit me right in the leg because he knew I was going to run oh, if yeah. I got yeah. hit anywhere else. And the ball didn't just go like hit and bounce; it hit. And it was like it went, it went through you, sucked in like that, right? And then it just oh. dropped, right? And so I'm thinking to myself, "Don't let him let me let him know it hurts, right? Just run the first. I took one step, went down. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that hurt, man. I can still feel it to this day how that ball hurt, man. Like, it just, the seams were in my leg. But anyway, I get the first, and, you know, Raphael Primero's there, and he's going, man, I hate it when he hits people. And I go, why? He goes, because he doesn't have to hit. One of us is going to get killed. <laughs> and I go, that's a fact. Because Tony likes to, right, he'll right. retaliate. I go, you're okay. But you see that yeah. center fielder out there? He's going to get beat up. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I met Nolan years ago when he was the GM for uh-huh. the uh, Texas Rangers. And the Royals are down here and the Wigwam, and we, they share the oh, same right. place with yeah. the Texas mm-hmm. Rangers and the Royals, right? I hear these boots, boom, boom, coming around the corner, and I look up. I'm sitting at the bar and it's Nolan. And I'm like, oh, geez. He comes over. We sat there for about a half an hour to 40 minutes and we had the greatest conversation. He really? was the wow. nicest guy you really? ever wanted to meet. And I just have that memory of him that day opposed to the ones that he was hitting me. And then I said to him, good luck as a general manager. And this is his comment to me. He goes, I think I'm a little bit. Oh, really? Wow. And they go to three world series. How about that? That's right. Well, he, (laughs) you see what I'm saying? He thinks he's over his boots and they go. He he was just such an intense competitor in between the lines because to, to finish out that story, didn't the umpire throw him out? Like, wasn't that one of the few times he was actually thrown out of the game? I think the only time. Well, yeah, yeah, that was the only time. He got thrown out of the game. And when he hit me, the umpire goes, you, get out of here. He goes, (laughs) for what? I hit him all the time. (laughs) (laughs) I think it might have been the only game he was ever thrown out, man. But, yeah, I got all kind of different records. One of the things that we want to honor you for, Willie, because you just had such an amazing career, but – Man, you're one of the very few people of all time in 1980 that you had 100 hits from each side of the plate. Jeez. You had 230 hits that year. And, bro, you had a 705 at bats. That's unheard of. What? Yeah. Unheard of. Yeah. At the time, uh, it, it was, I think, seven something. I think it was Dave mm-hmm. Cash had the record mm-hmm. a long time ago. Uh, but I think that record's been broken now uh, by a few people. Uh, but uh, as far as the at-bats are concerned, 
the 230, that's been broken by a few people too, but I don't think it's uh, as far as the switch hitter is concerned. And for me, I was proud of that because you have more right-handers than you mm-hmm. have lefties in the in the big leagues at the time. So I had to get up less times right-handed mm-hmm. to accomplish uh, the 100 hits. And the last three hits I got right-handed were against right-handed people. And, uh, and they were all sliders. Wow, right. So that made me feel pretty good that I could hit those babies if I needed to. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was different than, um, I was new and, you know, they were challenging me a lot with fastballs and, uh, sliders. Uh, they were kind of treating me like they were, na- I was in the national league and, uh, mm-hmm. it was an American league. And then as I got older, <laughs> they started dropping them curves and change ups and all of that kind of stuff. So, uh, split fingers and stuff. So it became a different kind of way they pitched to me. But in the beginning, they were just trying to challenge me and I wasn't missing too many fastballs. Right. So talking about kind of the, you know, you kind of changed the landscape for a lot of players like you, but like today, sports science is more prevalent than any, than ever. Right. So, right. The ability to with sabermetrics or measure the human body and what people are capable of. Like you just look at ball players, whether it's football, baseball, mm-hmm. basketball, you look at ball players today, physically, it's a different type of body than what it was in the 70s and 80s. So yeah. with that being said, like guys are bigger, stronger, faster. Why do you think, and this is again with your perspective as a stolen base leader, why when the players are faster, why are we seeing fewer stolen bases in today's game? Because it's just not there. Right. Uh, it's there. They just don't uh, want to do it as much because I think they're stressing more so home runs, two run, three run home mm-hmm. runs. And uh, But as a fan, which I am now, I am kind of bored with the game because there's mm-hmm. so many strikeouts. Um you know, it, uh, yep. as a fan, you know, we don't have the hit and run anymore. We don't have the, the, uh, steals or f- you do have the first and thirds, but you know, guys are hitting so many home runs. You got a close play at second because they're watching the ball. And mm-hmm. I see, uh, it, it's the fundamentals that bug me. And uh, because I had to learn how to play outfield, I just see so many different fundamentals that they don't do. I saw a guy the other day uh, for the Philadelphia Phillies. Ball hit off the wall. He went with his glove to pick the ball up. He missed it with his glove and then had to go back and pick it up again with his glove and his hand. Now, mm. I'm thinking just if you work pick on the up. fundamentals and the ball standing still, like it wasn't yeah. rolling much. Mm-hmm. So a thing like that is you don't use your glove at all. Right. You take your whole hand and go on top of the ball. So mm-hmm. that way that you don't miss the ball by just three fingers, you just grab the whole ball. Then you maneuver it as you're about to throw. I just see so many different little things there like, if the ball bounces to your left, if the ball bounces to your right, if it's high, if it's low, as soon as you get the ball, you just take it, throw it to your base because you've already thought of that before it happens. I see so many guys hesitate and double pump. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. It's just to me the fundamentals aren't there, and they don't care about stolen bases. They they care about the analytics, and they right. care about whether they can get a two or three run home run, and you lose a game two to one with a man on third when all you have to do is make contact. You see what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. So yeah. I wish they would put the stolen base back in. I wish they would run more. I wish they would have contact play at third. Contact play is just, you know, you got a man on third, just hit a ground ball, take off, make them make a perfect throw. But I think these young managers are with young players and they don't have any veteran guidance. And that's all because they're trying to relate to the young player. And I hate to be that old guy. Right. <laughs> you know, I don't want to be that guy on your line, you know, get off my line, get you know, stuff like line. that. Right. But what I see and what I see from the Royals is pitching. Yeah, I mean, I don't care that. how good your offense is. If you score eight and give up nine, it's your pitching. Yeah, it doesn't matter. You, know? you, you got to have the pitching. You got to have pitching. And if your pitching's bad, then you better have good defense. And if both right. of them are bad, you're going to lose games. And that's what I see the Royals are doing. I love the Royals. Yeah. I mean, I root for them every damn day. But right. I hate sitting here, you know, and I would love to just give my little bit. But since 1984, I don't get the little bit. And I made one year as an outfielder. And didn't get the Golden Glove. So I think all of that that happened mm-hmm. to me in 84 combines to why I'm doing other stuff instead of the right. stuff I want to do with gotcha. the Royals. Right. No, that, so. that, make, that makes total sense. Well, the, the one thing that we want to hit on, because we want to be mindful of your time, Willie, is uh, you know, you're talking about leadership in the clubhouse, right? Mm-hmm. So t- take a minute because – I know a lot of our players like yourself, young guys coming up in the 70s, but we had this gentleman, Hal McRae, who came over uh, from the Big Red Machine, right, who was, <laughs> who was like that clubhouse leader. So tell us a little bit about how his leadership style was in the clubhouse. It was different. If you, uh, <laughs> if you couldn't take criticism, um, and in our game, you know, you're going to get criticized all the time, but you hate to be criticized by your own teammate. Mm-hmm. But Hal didn't really care because his main purpose was to win. And I can tell you right now, as good as George was and as, as good as he you know could play, mm-hmm. he would tell you Hal was his leader. He was the one that he did. Wow. Tell yeah. you this and tell you that. Hal would. He, he, here's a story. I thought I was hurt one day and then he would get in the clothes, the big basket with all the clothes in it, cover himself. He'd have on a sergeant's army jacket and they would push the bucket all around the clubhouse. And if it stopped at your locker, you knew some stuff was going to happen, right? And he would pop out and he'd shoot you with the rifle. You can't help us. Oh, are you here? What are you doing here? You can't help us. So he goes right to your heart, to your manhood, right? And now you're going to like, you know, you go, well, I'm playing then, you know, because he would tell everybody in the locker room, what are you doing? You can't help us, right? So now he's making you play. 
And he would do stuff to where if you look at that playoff game in 77, mm-hmm. when he took out Willie Randolph. Mm. Oh, yeah. All right. Base pass. He yep. told Freddie, Freddie was on second. He was on first. And he yelled to Freddie, when I take him out at second, you go home. <laughs> and as you see the play, he took Willie Randolph out, wrapped his arm around him, and pointed oh. to Freddie to go home. Wow. Now, you're looking at this guy. He's in his 30s. You're in your 20s. He's, if I can do it, you certainly can do it. Mm-hmm. So that's why everybody followed Hal. Right. And if Hal was running and doing, everybody else did the same thing. And then because he came from the Cincinnati Reds, we were pretty daggone good. Yeah, oh, and nah. they knew how to win. We just accepted it. And he would get so people so mad at him. And if you were a utility player, <laughs> <laughs> he would say, and you want to fight it, right? I want to fight you. He goes, I don't fight utility players. <laughs> and the guy couldn't do anything. He still want to fight you. Like, yeah, I don't fight you. You ain't starting. I don't even fight you, man. That's hilarious. Oh, uh, how was going straight was for the heart, man. man? Oh, he went right there. Wow. Uh, hey. I tell you. <laughs> so amazing. Willie, um, before we, we wrap up here, I think it's kind of a cool story and, and fitting because a lot of our, some of our listeners in, in our fantasy camp group, especially helped out with this, but mm. would you, would you mind sharing the story for a couple of moments about your world series ring and how, oh, yeah. how that came to be? Um, because it, it's a really, really special story. Well, there's a, every, there's a lot of help in that story. Right. Um, you know, I, I had a business venture, went bankrupt, and I had to sell my ring. Uh, was not, uh, I didn't have to sell it. They sold it. Um, mm. uh, the government. The case, yeah. The guy I was trying to get the ring back from, which I wanted to get his permission, he wanted season tickets to the Royals and uh, an astronomical amount of money. And I just told him, you know, you keep it. Mm. So I had to call, uh, the Royals and get permission uh, through them to have my ring remade uh, through the company that would making them back in those days. Like Jostens mm-hmm. or something. Right. So uh, finally got permission from them and uh, I had wrote my book and I think I was doing speeches and stuff like that uh, surrounding the book. Helen, my better half, uh, I'd went on, uh, to do something in Toronto and the whole city knew about it except for me. I don't even know how a whole city kept it <laughs> secret, man. So I go to the Negro leagues and I'm going to, uh, do a speech. And then, uh, uh finally, uh, I finished the speech and I kept seeing people that were coming in that normally weren't, <laughs> weren't coming in uh-huh. to do those kind of speeches at the Negro League. So I'm like, okay, something's going on. But I didn't good. exactly know what. And then uh, they told me that uh, uh, it was basically to uh, present me with my World Series ring. And um, there was a lot of people that uh, that put up 
money and, mm-hmm. and cash and stuff for that to help me out. And, uh, especially a lot of local guys. And I still got the names of everybody over here. And, um, I, uh, thanks, thanks for the memories. And, um, there was a guy in there that a lot of people don't know. I was pretty good friends with and half of the money we had gotten the other half he had gave to us. And that was Eddie better. No kidding. Well, he was, he was discussed on yesterday's show with Sean Casey. Yes. Yeah. uh, I've uh, known Eddie for a while. Um, He, he kind of gave the other half of the money. Wow. And uh, amazing. uh, Did that relationship, did that relationship start with the Cubs connection? Yeah, with the Cubs connection, it yeah. started. And, uh, you know, he's a big Cubby fan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I got to really know him uh, doing a lot of uh, fantasy camps. And we would sit down and talk. And uh, he was just a really cool dude. That's so awesome. we became really good friends. And this started uh, early, late 90s. So wow. it was Very pretty cool. cool. And uh, so when I got the ring, it really touched me. Uh, I don't wear it much now because I don't want to lose <laughs> you don't it. Lose it yeah. uh, <laughs> but I do wear it at special occasions. And I'm coming to Kansas City on the 8th um, next month um, to awesome. do the Buckle Neal Golf Tournament and also to do, uh, do WHB, which is 100 years <laughs> of existence. Uh, and uh, so I'm going to help them out do the stuff to uh, – I guess it's a dinner and uh sports kind of special and mm-hmm. they're going to hand out SB. So oh, that's wow. pretty cool. And then I'm going to do some clinics there in Kansas city for uh, Raytown and uh, the Negro league uh, museum out in the back, the uh, urban league. So um, right on. it's going to be nice. Um, I, I really love coming back there. I would love to come back there for more things, um, but you know, it's tough. And well, I know good. that. Well, maybe right. maybe we'll be able to hook up with you when you're in town next yeah, month. Man. Um, yeah, man, that'd be good. Hey, hey, Willie, we always say great things can come from fantasy camps, whether it's Cubs camp or Royals fantasy camp, man. A lot of good vibes come from there. Sure. We talk about how we've made some of our best friends and brothers, and now we're going to weddings and funerals and all types of cool stuff, um, you know, with these great guys. So uh, that's a great story about you and Eddie. Yeah. man. Love it. Yeah. Thank yeah. You. It, uh, fantasy camp. I really enjoy that. And this year we got another one in November. How about that? Yeah. Two, two we're, in one we're year. Ready. It's yeah. ready. Well, and, hey, Willie, uh, we're, we're going to, I want to ask you guys one thing. Yes. What it. you got? How's Clarky? You know what? How's he doing? Yep. Well, know. we love him very much, and uh, you know we we see him and talk. To, you just saw him the we, other night. I saw him two nights ago. Uh, I took my son to the Royals game and saw Clarky because you know he's the he's the mayor of the crown seats right behind. <laughs> him. You know he loves that, but man, he he looks good. He's in really good spirits, and uh, as you know, he's just uh, nothing but salt of the earth. One of the best guys, yeah. and he's he's really looking forward to being healthy and being ready to rock in November. He'll listen to the show and uh, Clarky, we love you, man. Obviously Willie loves you too. Yeah, man. I just wanted to find out, man. I just wanted to let him know that uh, always thinking about him, man. So strong dude with a, with a strong woman and Jamie, that's for sure. Absolutely. We'll definitely, we'll definitely pass that along for you. Willie, as we wrap up here, rapid fire. Okay. One word answers, football or baseball, baseball. Did you ever pretend to limp down first base so pitchers wouldn't think you were stealing? Yes. <laughs> Should nice. number six be retired by the Royals? 
definite. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's the way to end the show, I, right you said there. One words, right? I, yeah, I, I couldn't definitely. say definitely yes. <laughs> so. Yeah, no. Hey, man, we love you. And I will say for those listening to the show, Bleacher Report, obviously a huge sports site, has Willie friggin' Wilson listed as the number three royal wow. of all time. All time. That's pretty wow. amazing. Yeah. So out of how all the world. How about it? So, yeah, I think it's number amazing. six should be retired, too. So, yeah. Will Wilson, thank you so much for being on the Always Be Cool podcast. We're your hosts, Bobby Kerr, Darren Copeland. Be sure to find us online, Spotify, Google, Apple Playlists, as well as Instagram and Facebook, at Always Be Cool podcast. Willie, if somebody wants to find you, buy your book, or listen to you, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Well, they can uh, do Willie at WillieWilsonBaseball.org, and they can uh, email me there and – We'll go from there. Awesome. Willie Wilson, thank you so much. Hang on the line. We're going to stop recording. We'll talk to you for another 30 seconds or so. And uh, take care, guys. Thanks for listening to the show. Cool. Thanks, Willie. All right. Thanks, guys. If you are hearing this message, you've listened to the entire episode. And for that, Darren and Bobby thank you from the bottom of their hearts. They hope you enjoyed this new episode. And if you did, please leave them a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you're listening. Please share this episode with others who may be interested in our community. Also, feel free to let DC and BK know which business or community leaders you'd like to see covered in future episodes. Get in touch in the comments or on social media. See you next time for a new episode. And remember, always be cool. This podcast is powered by Summit Lending. NMLS number 185081, Equal Housing Lender.